Breaking the stigma of addiction. This is Zach's life, a story of love, addiction, loss, grief, and recovery. Reflecting on Zachary Horton and others in our community, both, both inside and outside of their addiction. addiction. Hosted by Jim Horton of the Zachary Horton Foundation. Hello, everyone. Thank you for uh, joining us uh, today. I'm excited to have a, a, a new friend uh, with me today. Her name is Kelsey, and uh, j- just as an aside, uh, uh, this is the first time Kelsey and I have uh, have have met each other. We talked on the phone one time, and and so anyway, Kelsey it was great uh, meeting you today, and uh, I just I, I love your vibe. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me today. Um, it's been a pleasure this morning talking with you and getting to know you. I feel like I'm part of the family. Well, yes, you are, <laughs> <laughs> and we're and we're glad and we're glad to have you. That's 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 for sure. Um, you, you know, uh, Kelsey, let's just jump right into it. Let's just get in deep. Mm-hmm. Um, if you will take a, take a few, take a few minutes and, uh, reflect back and as much as you want, I want you to, to tell me about the worst darkest place that you remember in your addiction? Okay. <clears throat> um, so I'll just preface with, I started struggling with addiction in 2006 at the age of 16. And, uh, well, I started struggling before that, but I got treatment at 16 and my addiction would progress and um, impact my life until the age of 27. And the darkest place that my addiction took me was um, to a suicide attempt. Um, In 2017, after living through, you know, a decade of addiction and all the trauma that comes from living that lifestyle. Um, I was a mother of two at this time. Um, My kids were now being impacted by um, the trauma of of my addiction. And that led me to um, the trauma my kids were living through um, combined with my trauma, you know, it caused a, a relapse and um, in this relapse, um, I found myself at the top of a roof um, where I attempted suicide. Um, and it was on that roof that I was overwhelmed with the emotions of shame, fear, and guilt. And um, I remember standing on this roof looking down And I actually, you know, I didn't know what to do. Um, I was so ashamed that I had, um, that I was a mother that struggled with addiction. Um, I was ashamed of being an addict. Um, I was afraid that the pain that I was feeling physically, mentally, emotionally, on all aspects, um, would never end. Um, and I felt an immense amount of guilt 
for what I had put my family through, my husband, and for the ways that I had impacted the community. Um, Rock bottom for me was realizing that I could no longer escape the pain that I was living in high or sober. And I believed the lie that my children would be better off with a mom without a mom like me and um, that the world would be a better place without a drug addict like me in it. I, 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 I say um, it, it's hard for me to understand the pain that brought you to that, to that point. Uh, but yet I, I do, I do understand that it, in as much as, and you know, a little of the story of Zach and during once we had sent him to, uh, Costa Mesa, uh, for, uh, for a treatment and he was, he was feeling so much of the things that, that you, that you're talking about feeling now. And uh, he borrowed a phone on the street. He had ran away from his treatment facility. He borrowed a phone from somebody walking on the street, and he called us. Mm. And uh, he, he told us that he was going to end it all. And, uh, and he said that uh, he sees a, 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 a two- or three-story parking structure, and he was headed up there to jump off. And now... Fortunately, the facility he was with, as soon as he gave the phone back and we had disconnected, you can imagine as parents what our minds were going through and what uh, we called the facility. Uh, they dispatched somebody. Fortunately, there was only, in, in Costa Mesa, there was only one parking garage. Wow. <laughs> up, up, you know, at, at, that, at that height. And so they went, uh, uh, this uh Galvic's counselor went straight there and he was standing on the edge of the, <sighs> and, uh, she was able to, she was able to talk him. She was able to talk him down off that till the, till the authorities got there. But, uh, uh again, uh, just the kind of, just the kind of pain that I know that, that, that you had to feel at that moment. Again, I just felt it from being on the other side. So, uh, in a way I get it in a way I can't, understand everything that went into it but but right. uh but but i certainly feel that now uh from people that have listened before this is kind of a new almost a new format we never start out at at the dark place but i, I think one of the great things about this story uh as you know with uh, kelsey's a, a attempt uh, she's here today and and she looks uh she looks fantastic and her story's fantastic and she's doing, uh, so much, so much wonderful, uh, in, in her life with her story and, and how she's sharing that. And, uh, t today we're not going to focus on, I, I wanted us to start at that place so you can see where this kind of, uh, these kind of problems can, can take you. Uh, but we're really going to focus for the rest of our time uh, we're going to move toward the whole recovery aspect and the things that's, that, that can bring us out of that. So I guess the first thing that I would ask, Kelsey, as I, as I hear that story, and, and, and how old were you at that time? 27. You were 27 at that time. So obviously that's a, a long way off from 
the little girl that was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or, or right. when, when 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 things were were good and like when you were successful or you were feeling success or you were feeling pleasure and you were happy. You you don't go from zero to there, right? To find your way to the top of a roof, right? O- o- overnight. Um, to, to tell us about what that journey was like. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I grew up in Fresno. Um, you know, my, my, my parent, my dad's an engineer and, you know, we, we were the family that, um, went camping every weekend and, uh, my mom stayed home and took care of us. Um, you know, we, um, we are huge, a family, we come from a long line of athletes, uh, football players. Um, so athletics and being involved in school was really important to my family. And so for me, you know, my story really starts out, you know, at the lake on the weekends, um, at age five, learning how to water ski. I could swim by age three. I could snowboard. I could kneeboard. Um, I started playing soccer, Um, and like I was telling you, you know, Renee sample was my coach. She deemed my nickname, the tough one. Um, I was the girl who didn't cry on the field. Um, and so, you know, from soccer, it morphed into cheerleading and from cheerleading, it went into gymnastics and, you know, by age 13, I was a full-blown gymnast and, um, by 14 and 15, I was nationally ranked, um, so and, 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 and let me stop you right there just for a second. So this doesn't seem like the prescription right for for drug abuse or the prescription for and I think one of the things that that, that we that we try to do with the podcast and with the foundation is show that there's not there's not a certain prescription. Right. The, the, that you had, I mean, this sounds pretty idyllic so far. I mean, everybody has stuff in their family right, where it's not right. idyllic, but, but wow, nationally ranked. I mean, right. you're going to places on weekends, you know, you had support from the family to get to where you were going and do right. what you want. So, okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, go, that's go, fine. Go ahead. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's good just, to point out. I'm just trying to figure out, well, how did we get, how, how did we get to, to that other place? This sounds right. What, wonderful. Yeah. From the outside looking in, you know, it's like, what is this, you know, when I started struggling with addiction, it was like, wow, what does this girl have to be sad about? And, you know, the underbelly of all of this perfection and good grades and being an AP student and being nationally ranked, you know, is the pressure of life. Um, you know, I struggled with fitting in. I struggled with fear of rejection. Um, you know, there was one point in my walk in school where, you know, girls were writing uh, things about me on bathroom stalls or, you know, I was excluded from, you know, exclusion really started happening for me in seventh and eighth grade. Um, and, you know, just feeling like I wasn't, you know, fitting in with, um, the group that I had always been a part of. And, um, you know, then you have the pressure of your grades and your full load. And the other underbelly of all of that was during this time when in the early 2000s and in the 90s, we weren't diagnosing concussions the way that we do now. So my trauma, um, the, the one of the 
thickest roots of trauma for me was actually brain trauma, um, undiagnosed, um, just simply because neuroscience wasn't there yet. We didn't realize that concussions greatly impact the way you act, think and feel. Um, so, you know, you have to think when I was going through sports, we were, we were allowed to head the ball in soccer. I mean, I remember lining up and they would just throw the ball at our head and we would head it like, I don't know, 10 times a, a rotation. And now, you know, they, they know that's very dangerous. And at a certain age, girls aren't allowed to head the ball. Um, and then you think about in cheerleading, I was a base. I lifted the girl in the air cause I'm, I was really strong and, you know, being on the bottom of pyramids and, you know, what ended my cheerleading career was an injury. I, I was doing a round off back hand spring back tuck, which you don't use your hands for. And I fell on my head and neck and I, I had just enough. I had oh a, had enough, you know, but at that time, you know, it wasn't like, oh, she fell on her head and neck. Let's check her for a concussion. It was get up, line up and do it again. Because in gymnastics, it's um, my coach always said, you know, it's 90 percent mental, 10 percent physical. So me, I'm the mental one. I'm always in my head. And it was like, if I didn't do that pass again and land it, you know, I would be afraid to do it again. Right. So, um, you know, that athlete mentality of me, the tough one, get up, don't cry, suck it up. You know, I remember coming to school and having rug burns on my nose because if you did a standing tuck and you let go of your knees, you would have to do push-ups on your knuckles. So I did not let go of my legs. And if that meant I bounced forward and my face stopped me, then dang it, my face was going to stop me because I wasn't going to do those push-ups on my knuckles. So, I mean, you know, um, what I want people to understand is that trauma is not what you always see in the movies. It is, of course, abuse and rape and all of those things. Um, and I would never want to take away from those survivors, but trauma is also, you know, rejection, brain trauma. Um, trauma can be for some kids, you know, failing a test. Um, those little traumas or traumas that society may deem as not as important or, or hard, those things do add up. And that pressure, eventually that pressure blows. So, so Kelsey, what are you, I'm, I'm just wanting to follow, but everyone deals with some kind of trauma, maybe, right. maybe not the brain trauma that, that you had. Right. So are, are you saying that it was that trauma of the, of the brain injuries that, that, that helped facilitate your addiction? I, I believe that, and I know from, um, my doctors that, you know, though the brain trauma and the impacts to the head, the hits to the head, um, it triggered an anxiety and depression, a mental, you know, mental health that already lived in my brain. Um, you know, you think about it like a loaded gun, right? The gun was loaded and those traumas and those experiences pulled the trigger. And when that trigger got pulled, um, you know, for me, I still to this day, I have really bad anxiety. And um, when I was young and going through the pressures of school, I didn't know how to cope with that anxiety and that depression. And so when I was introduced, you know, like kids are, we are 
exposed to pot and alcohol. And so when I was a teenager and I was exposed to that lifestyle, what I found is when I drank, it calmed my nerves. And then when I found drugs, the drugs gave me the courage to face my problems. So the combination almost allowed me to function for a short time sure. better. You know, in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the answer. You know, this is what I've been missing my whole life. You know, I, this is exactly what I need to ace my, t- my test and go off to be a nurse because that was my dream. And um, so when you think of a young mind, you know, we just, we, do, we don't know we're innocent and we think we're helping ourselves. And what I, when I, after um, I had tried cocaine for the, for the first time, I, I knew um, I was addicted. I knew, I, I knew I loved it way too much. I knew, and, you know, maybe God planted that in my heart, but I just knew, I was like, you shouldn't ever feel this good. You know, it just felt so good. And I wanted to feel that way all the time. And so it only took me four months of using cocaine before I was like, I need help because it, I mean, I immediately was like, I don't want to go to school. I want to do cocaine. I don't want to, you know, my dreams were gone. You know, I didn't care about my sports. I just wanted to feel that good all the time. Isn't that amazing that that's the... You know, and I often say when I'm talking to some groups, so I'll say there's there's no kid at 14 who smokes a joint for the first time that says, "Man, I can't wait till I'm a heroin addict." Right. Right. right? Yeah. No, no one, no one, you know, slams their first beer at, at at 12 on a dare and says, "Oh, hey, when I can put away a suitcase every day, that's when I've arrived." <laughs> right. You know, it it doesn't happen. Mm-mm. It doesn't happen that way. And there's those. And, and it's different for different people, right? right? Because you, you were, you probably, during those four months, you were using with other people that never became addicted. Right. That right, wasn't, yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't part of that. Right. But for you, that's, that's what made, and I, I think it's important, uh, it's important for me to understand, and I wish I had known this earlier, that, that my son, that Zach and, and you, you were doing your best to feel normal. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden you felt, you felt good. Now, what teenager ever feels normal, right? But, <laughs> but but for you, it was such a marked difference from how you felt with the depression or whatever you were dealing with, your brain traumas or you know, and everything else on top. That holy cow! Why didn't I have this all the time? How can this be bad? And the other thing is too is I'm sure my mom was like, "Wow, she's in such a good mood. Like, look at her. She wants to get up. She's up early. You know." Where before the the stimulants, you know, the cocaine, I um, and what we know now about brain trauma is, you know, I was sleeping all the time. That's a symptom. I was having, you know, really bad mood swings. I was struggling to focus in school, you know, inattention, you know, ADHD, you know, brain trauma. You have when you think about your brain, you have to think about it like the organ that it is. It it, it controls all parts of you. And so when you think about brain injury symptoms, you have to think like it's, it's everything, you know, it can be so many things. Um, so for me, when 
you know, I love energy. Like I'm, I'm naturally an energetic person. So when I started having this brain trauma, I was losing energy and I was losing, you know, I was a drama nerd. I was, I was losing the ability to remember my lines. And so introducing a stimulant, it really was self-medicating. It was like, oh my God, I'm back. You know, she's here. Like that's how it felt. And, you know, I'll never forget. This just came to me. I was in my kitchen I I would you had been using drugs and I I came home and I'll never forget I was in my kitchen making a sandwich and I got a bloody nose and I and I remember it dropped on the bread and I ran to the bathroom and I cleaned my face and my mom was just in in the room right in front of me you know and I'm making this sandwich and you know she probably thought oh there's my daughter you know she's such a good kid and you know I think that's really like when the shame and the guilt really started coming in because you know, I love my family and to look at them in the eyes, you know, I remember coming home and having to check in every night. I had a 1030 curfew. My parents were strict and I had to come in and I had to show my face to them. And you can't see me, but I have really dark brown eyes, almost where you can't see my pupils. And man, I got away with it because it wasn't like alcohol where you can smell it. And it wasn't like pot where you can smell it. It's, it was so easy for me to make it a part of my life that, You know, really like my parents probably thought at that time I was doing better than I had ever done until, you know, the addiction really set in and I couldn't show up anymore. Right. right. But there was a period of time where, yeah, you know, it's addiction is cunning, baffling and powerful. These the substance abuse, because it really it's really not how it is in the movies. You know, it's different. So so now Things are starting, like I said, you, you couldn't show up anymore. Right. It had gotten, it had gotten past, it had gotten past that point. So take us through your steps of recovery from the beginning. And, okay. and, and there's some, I, I know some re- relapses along the way right. that, again, got us to the dark place or whatever, right. but take us through. So, so now, so now people, cause again, that's, that's our focus today right. is, is really, is really how recovery works or at least how it worked for you. Yeah. So I, I go to treatment, I get really educated on addiction, what it is, you know, the dopamine, the serotonin. Um, and what is, I think really important for parents to know of young children. Um, you know, when I went into treatment, I thought the goal is long-term sobriety and at 16, you know, the, the trajectory of that is actually really grim. You know, it's, hard to have long-term sobriety as a teenager. So I think, you know, what hindsight's 2020, what I see now is that you're planting a seed, you're educating your child, you're putting them in treatment and they're getting this intense education on addiction. And so it changes the way that you drink and use, you know, you don't get to do that, you know, whole dance of ignorance is bliss out there and you're just partying, you know, now, you know, I've gone to treatment, I come home, um, I start going to AA my, um, at the, t- I, w- I went to Northeast fellowship. Um, it's in the AA community. It was called the snake pit. So, um, <laughs> known as a snake and we, I, I got a sponsor Evie who's still my sponsor today. And we, we dig into the book of Alcoholics Anonymous and, when you come into AA, you know, you think, oh, I thought as a 16 year old, like, oh, I'm about to learn how to, you know, maybe in my mind thought like, maybe I'll learn how to drink and use the right way. Or maybe, you know, maybe um, I'll walk in and I'll, I'll learn this secret and I'll never crave another drink or drug again, Right. you know? And 
um, when I went into the rooms, I quickly learned that um, the the route to a strong recovery is a deep relationship with a higher power. And, um, you know, really addiction is spiritual warfare. Um, we come in so bankrupt, um, and the 12 steps really teach you how your addiction impacted, um, and your behaviors and you learn to make amends and clean what we say, clean your side of the street, um, accountability, and then, um, having a spiritual awakening and a spiritual experience where, um, that could what I know now, you know, that can be a day, a spiritual experience can be a daily change in behaviors and the way we act, think and feel. Um, and a spiritual experience can also be, you know, unfortunately for me, I mean, it's fortunate, but it's unfortunate going to a roof and asking God to help you and surviving. But our goal is to, is to prevent the roof is to prevent the death. What we know in recovery is that addiction leads to three places, jails, mental institutions, and death. But what we also know is that you don't have to go to those three places, you know, walking into the rooms and getting sober, you know, you get to just define your bottom and your bottom can, can be that you're just fed up with yourself, right. Or that you've hurt your family. And so for me, you know, recovery has been a total transformation of the way that I act, think and feel. And you know, we talk a lot in recovery about root causes and people I hear, I see it on social media all the time. Oh, that's an excuse. That's an excuse. I just hear her giving her an excuse for why she was an addict and people see it as a moral corruption or a failure in a family system. And that stigma is so, it just kills communities. And what I really want people to understand is that, um, you know, people who talk about the trauma that led to their addiction, um, what I say is root root causes become excuses when we live there. So if I were to get out into the community and share about my root causes and continue to wreak havoc in my community, in my family, and in my personal life, then yeah, that's an excuse, right? Well, I do this because, you know, I had brain trauma. I am not excusing my behavior by sharing about what led me to recovery. I am using it to educate families who are just beginning their journeys sure. in recovery. So, so Kelsey, when did you when did you realize this? When did you realize that oh my god, my 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 brain injuries created this horrendous trauma that that that's that set me up. So right? I it was after my suicide attempt. Um, I was in the hospital at Community Regional Medical Center. So, so after you were twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yes. So and you went into your first treatment at sixteen. So you're telling me that it was eleven years that you were blaming yourself. Yes. Or your weaknesses. Yes. Yes. For, I, for, for it for everything. Yeah, and, and we're not saying that you didn't have any responsibility or right. or, or, or anything, but and I think I mean to me that's just it's it's just amazing, and and, I, and that's why you're here, and that's why I'm here is to is to again let people know that are listening to this that 
I mean, here's somebody that had been through years of, of treatment and rehabilitation and, and 12-step programs and still thought that everything was her fault. Right. And, and, uh, and, and that's why we begin to see addiction as a disease. Right. And, and we need to, to treat it like that and to see it that way and at least understand it like that, to be sympathetic toward it like that. And then maybe we'll talk about it more. Right. Like that instead, and it won't take the next person eleven years to get to that to get to that point. So anyway, so now yeah, go ahead and continue. So now you're twenty seven, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm in the hospital, and um, a lady her her name is Brennan Hughes. She walks in. She's the lead. Um, acu- she was the lead acute care speech and language pathologist at the time, and so I have psych trauma team and speech, and um, so as a result of my suicide attempt, I had a a brain bleed and several broken bones. So that's what prompted the brain injury consult that I was, I was under, you know, I had, I think it's every four hour neuro checks. Um, you know, I was on seizure meds, pain medication. I mean, the whole thing. And this Brenna walks in, I call her my brain mentor. And, um, she, she asked me, you know, do you know what a concussion is. And I said, yeah, you know, when you hit your head and you pass out and she was like, no, um, you know, a concussion is any blow to the head or body that causes the brain to move and hit and in your head. And so it's, so it's an impact and it, and any time that impact happens, if it follows any one physical symptom. So she gave me a list of symptoms that range from headache, dizziness, nausea, loss of consciousness. You know, there's all these, all these symptoms. And she said, so any, any, um, blow to the head or body that causes any one of these symptoms. And so she goes with that definition in mind, have you ever had a concussion? And I'm just looking at this lady, like, are you kidding me? Is, like, is there any day in my youth that I didn't? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, where do I begin? And my husband was in nursing school at the time and he was sitting next to me and I, I was on a 5150 psych hold. And I also had a gentleman who was my, my babysitter and we're all sitting there and she had to ask me so many times. And that's typical um, when you're educating someone on brain injuries, because it really is unbelievable to think about the definition in that context and then think about back in your life. And I said, I, I've, I don't know. I've had hundreds. I don't know, you know, and to this day, I still will never fully know. But at that time I had three diagnosed at that time. So I knew I had three and then including my brain bleed. And then, you know, going back 27 years, I don't know, I started, you know, like I said, in the lake at five, I don't know how many times I fell. So I will never forget the gentleman in the room. His dad was a boxer and we were all crying because she was like, I think this is what led to your anxiety and depression. I think this is what led to your substance abuse. And the reason the trauma team and the psych team were so on board with this is because I had a decade of psych therapy in my chart. You know, a lot of times patients come in and they've never even seen a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but here I was fighting for my life and I'm laying in this bed and I'm just like, I don't know what else to do. And, um, so I, I go down the treatment plan of brain trauma. And so I, I combine the knowledge of brain trauma and the therapy surrounding brain trauma along with my addiction 
therapy. And I mean, here I am four years sober. Wow. So it's unbelievable. Wow. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's incredible. And, and again, it's, it's fortuitous that you, that you finally got the right team, right? That you got the right team support. around you and, and support. And I think that's one of the things in, that I hear in stories often in recovery from people that, that, that make it to the recovery side is something like this where a realization finally took place. Whether it was a realization in, 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 their, in their own life, in their own personal life, or a realization from outside, from outside forces. But one of the things that, that I'm beginning to hear that keeps that realization from taking place really is kind of that, that stigma of addiction. It's too easy for people to continue to believe that Kelsey's problems are because of Kelsey and her attitude. Right. It's uh, it's Kelsey's behavior that's bringing it here. If Kelsey wanted to change, she would just she just must not want it enough, or she's just a bad girl. She I doesn't like care that. about her kids, you know. And that I want to say that you know Brenna, she's an amazing woman. Um, her motto is "All people are born good." If there's an inmate in the hospital, Brenna will advocate for their brain injuries and tell the guards that they're not supporting that inmate properly. And that if that inmate gets proper support, he'll stop committing crimes. You know, she, she, she is, I mimic a lot of her work and I really, she really is a huge part of who I am. She pounded into my head. Every person you see is a good person. And, and it just changed my life and my advocacy and who I am. And, um, you know, there's even a, a stigma in the hospital with addiction. And Brenna is just one of those lights in there that fights anyone who, who thinks negatively, you know? Um, and we need people like that in our community who fight for the underdogs, who fight for the quote unquote morally corrupt, you know, nobody, no infant was born this, this brain that was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin the world. You know, we get there, right. but we can unget there. Right. So, so, Kelsey, tell me if if you, uh, I, I want you to speak now to, to two different groups of people. I want you to speak. I want you to speak to parents who who may be feeling like like they're in the the ups and downs, the roller coaster, the whole drama of of watching a a child not be who they thought that they were, and and again, when as a, I'll speak as a parent, when that begins to happen, you just think you can control it because you've right. been controlling it while they're four or five, seven, eight, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Whoa, it gets a little more difficult to control, mm-hmm. you know, at that age. But, but, but you're thinking everything is, everything is fine. And then when, again, when things start going off the rail, then we'll, we're doing everything the same way we always had. So it's got to be him. It's got to be her, right? Right. So, so I, I, I'd like you to, to take a couple of minutes and, and, and talk to the parent. And then I also want you to talk to, talk to the, to the young person who doesn't understand why they're not feeling like they did two or three years ago. Okay. And, and uh, you, you just take a few minutes and, and then we'll, we'll wrap up, but I think okay. you've got an important message I want them to hear. Yeah. So for parents, um, who are in the thick of this, um, the greatest gift that you can give your child who is in the pit 
of addiction is reminding them of who they really are. Because when the disease infects and takes over our brains, um, we start to believe the lies that depression and anxiety and the disease of addiction tell us, um, you know, things like we don't, we don't deserve our families. Like, you know, I am a spoiled brat. That's why I'm like this. Um, you know, I, I must not love my children or whatever lie is, is feeding their, their, their minds. Um, those lies come from a dark place. Um, and, like I said in the beginning, there is an element of spiritual warfare um, with addiction. And what parents can do to really impact their child's life is speak truth into those lies um, and be a light um, in, in that darkness um, and just continue to remind them of the baby and the child that they were. Um, you know, boundaries are important and not enabling is one thing, but our words matter. Um, you know, when we think about when we, everything we do is based on communication and words. If we, if our words were taken from us, we wouldn't, it would be very hard to know the brain that's inside that person. So, you know, speak words into that mind and, um, you know, I know if you're a parent and you're going through this, your child will come home breaking down, right? Right. When they're in that breakdown, you dig your teeth into them and just feed them with the truth of who they really are, who their higher power, their whatever you believe in, whoever God created them to be, that's what you tell them. And eventually, though that truth will will sink in and what what a, what a wonderful message just to hear to have that message when they are at their lowest to have that message of love and support uh, that's that's powerful uh Give us a message now for uh, for the young Kelseys, for the young Zachs. To all the Zachs and the Kelseys in the thick of addiction right now, I just want you to know that you are your addiction does not define you. Um, the the decisions you've made, the people you've hurt, the ugly, nasty things that you had to do to survive the disease. Those are not the things that define you. You know, the light that was in you before, it's still there. And the person that you were before um, is there. And when you choose recovery, it's only going to be an even better version of yourself because now you have all this life experience that is going to make you a better person if you are afraid to come into the rooms or to ask for help, I just want you to know that the bravest thing you will ever do is ask for help and that there are people and there is a community that will not judge you. You can, there is a place and there are people where you can tell all of those deep, dark secrets to, and they're not, they're not going to view you any different. 
And I also want you to know that there is a God that loves you. And, you know, I believe in God and my God died next to criminals. So, you know, if that speaks any, you know, truth that our God came for people just like us, you know, that we are the back recovering addicts and alcoholics are the backbone to communities. There isn't much, there is not a person that we won't help. Um, you know, we love the prostitute. We love the needle using addict. We, we love everybody. And if you're scared to get help because you think that you're the worst person in the world who's done the most horrific things, that is a lie. Um, I can guarantee you that if you're in active addiction right now, that a majority of the things you're thinking are lies from the dark place. And you just need to get around some light so you can see the truth. Wow. That's beautiful. And that, that's a great segue uh, to, to talk about uh, the Butterfly Inside project that you're working on. So, and if you have a Facebook thing, mention that now and, okay. and talk briefly about that. And Okay. Yeah. So I, I started a, it's a support group really for women, but um, it's a message that, that can reach anyone. Um, it's called the Butterfly Inside. Um, and I have a website, thebutterflyinside.com. I have Facebook. Um, and then my Instagram handle is Kels Iggy, <laughs> which is my um, nickname. Um, and it's um, the butterfly inside. My motto is that there is a butterfly inside of us waiting to emerge from the darkness this world can leave us in. Your life is worth saving. You are worth it. And really what the whole mission of it is, is to reduce the shame associated with struggling with mental health um, and just providing a place where people can be themselves and be loved, fully known and fully loved. Um, well, also just I provide education on brain injuries and trauma and mental health. Um, but really, I, I want not just addicts and alcoholics and those struggling with mental health to, to view what I do. I want the whole community so that you can learn more about this life and the families and the experiences. And so you can be that next person who sees someone and believes the truth that all people are born good. So I'm just trying to extend that message to anyone who will listen. <laughs> Kelsey, that's that is just a, a beautiful. Uh, it's a, a beautiful message, and and you're a beautiful person. Again, I can't uh, f- from from where from where our conversation started, and to where you are now is just nothing short of miraculous. And uh, again, thank you so much for uh, for coming and 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 being a part of uh, of this today, and 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 sharing with us. And I look forward to a lot of other opportunities for us to work together. Absolutely, in the, in the future. I want to read one more time Kelsey's mission about about uh, her project, and it is there is a butterfly inside of us all, waiting to emerge from the darkness this world can leave us in. Your life is worth saving, and you are worth it. This has been an episode of Zach's Life. Thank you so much for listening. For more info on our foundation and for addiction resources, visit ZacharyHortonFoundation.org or check us out on Facebook and Instagram. 
If you have a story to tell and want to be a guest on our podcast, email me directly at jim at zacharyhortonfoundation.org.